Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Town of Portland podcast. Uh, we are here in the Town Tech Educational Partnership Studio at Portland High School, and uh, this is going to be our episode 34. And uh, in, with us in the studio is our first select one, Miss Susan Bransfield. Uh, and on the phone line, we have our Chatham Health Director, Mr. Russ Belmid. Welcome all. Good to be here. How you doing? Russ, you still there? How you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm still here. I'm doing well. Uh, you know, it's um, you know been a roller coaster ride over the last uh, couple of months, but but things are uh, looking up. Are you so, able to take your roller skates off? <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, yes. You know, I've actually been able to carve out a little time for myself, both mm-hmm. personally and you know forcefully because I suffered a back injury. So for all you folks listening out there who might be concerned, I'm, I'm back on my feet. But um, yeah, the, the 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 health department didn't fall apart during my uh, roughly two week absence. So um, I guess I'm fortunate to have a good expert staff that can um, keep doing excellent work uh, when I'm when I'm not able to. Absolutely. Well, uh, welcome. Uh, glad you're back in the saddle. And I know back injuries aren't fun, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. forth. Uh, I've had That's one, sure. had one for years. So anyway, all right, Susan, let's start off with you and give us sure. the, uh, the the update. Obviously, we have good news. The budget is passed, so yes, it's all um, you. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Over 500 people voted yes, and about 174 voted no. So the budget passed uh, by a good margin. We're always grateful for those folks who take the time to either vote absentee or come out and vote on the budget, it is an important document. And it's important that those who are able to uh, do vote and let us know their thoughts. So this year is a good year. We're going to be implementing the budget, some great things that are in there. Uh, One thing that we have done is we will have a full-time senior director, which will be, I think, very important in this uh, close to post-COVID days where everyone is coming back, being active and uh, participating, engaging. We also, in the budget, will be purchasing a new tanker truck for the fire department, a much needed safety uh, vehicle that will provide water for those areas of town when they have a fire that do not have public water. Very important uh, truck for us to have. We're also going to have a new dump truck to plow the roads and to also pick up storm debris and brush and so forth. There's also some new police cruisers and grounds equipment. So it's a, it's a budget that I think meets many of the needs. We will be utilizing some of the American Recovery Plan dollars to help offset some of the costs and some of the revenues that have been lost due to the pandemic. We're grateful to President Biden and our governor for shepherding us through this pandemic and hopefully the extra dollars will cushion uh, the blow of the cost associated with making sure we have all the safety equipment and making sure that our towns are running smoothly. I know our health department is extremely important. We'll be getting a catch up uh, from Russ in a few minutes on that. Um, I also want to just say that we're very pleased we're going to have a Memorial Day parade, Dave. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And you are a very important part of that parade, as you are our host at the reviewing station, uh, right in front of Brownstone Intermediate School. We are also going to have the uh, singing captain, the gentleman that comes and entertains a bit and sings some patriotic songs for us. 
But most importantly, let us remember those that have passed, those that have served our country well and may have fallen in the line of duty, and also those that over the course of the year have passed away. I really enjoy Memorial Day while it, it is somewhat sad. It's also joyful that we have uh, men and women that serve our country and we just take that day to remember them and to remember other loved ones that have passed during the course of the year. So looking forward to the parade. Um, other things that are going on, I'm looking forward to the opening. It's going to be in, in June. There's going to be a dedication of the new labyrinth, which is a beautiful, I'll, I'll call it a stone sculpture that the Brownstone Quorum has built at the Riverfront Park. That will be, I believe, June 13th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, another thing that I'm recruiting for, Dave, and maybe you'd like to help, um, I want to do some cleanup in the downtown area, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's down along Main Street, down where you have your music store, or mm -hmm. maybe uh, further down along the river there and down into the Nolan Field area. You know, we all want to take care of our town, and sometimes we need to pick up a little bit or spruce up, so I'll be uh, issuing some information on that. Maybe we'll have some fun outdoors picking up a couple of papers. Sure. It sounds like a plan. Uh, it's always good to... Uh you know, keep Main Street, uh, you know, uh, nice and clean and uh, inviting to uh, uh, folks to come over and, and visit uh, what a wonderful town Portland is. Yeah. And next week, I think Public Works will be putting up our new flags, the U.S. flags that adorn Main Street, as yes. well as some new banners to uh, celebrate Memorial Day and uh, the start of summer. Yes. And uh, hopefully the, the, the start of uh, normality. Yes. And so forth. We're getting there. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, I, I think Russ is going to allude to that very, very shortly here. Very good. I look forward to hearing from you, Russ. All right. Russ, are you there? Fantastic. Uh, yeah. I, I know uh, from a standpoint of, uh, you know, where Connecticut is nationally, we're looking very good in the, in the, uh, the vaccination scene. And the uh, so... Uh, where are we uh, as far as in relation to the health district? Sure. So um, we are doing really well. Let's start with vaccinations, and I'll focus on Portland for a bit. Um, well, first, sort of the national picture is, yes, Connecticut is, you know, depending on the day, you're looking at either leading the country or second in the country in terms of having a percentage, the percentage of the population that is fully vaccinated. Uh, we flip-flop back and forth between Maine and New Hampshire and Connecticut for that top spot. I think right now, as of today, we're number two. That's okay. We're approaching 50% of the entire population of the state having been fully vaccinated. Keep in mind that includes roughly 20% of the population that before today was actually not eligible to receive the vaccine. So um, that means really we're approaching 70% of the eligible population having been fully vaccinated. So that is a really, really big number. Um, I'd love to talk about herd immunity, but when 20% of the population can't get the vaccine yet, they are also part of the herd, so to speak. So um, and I don't, I don't want to talk about herd immunity because that really has a very specific meaning in terms of fizzling out the ability of the virus to spread in a population. We're just not there yet. But um, we're doing very well in Connecticut. Uh, the vaccine campaign really accelerated over the course of the early part of the spring. Um, and and we have, we've seen, it's, it, we, we saw heavy interest in all our clinics for about four straight months. And once we got to about three weeks into the last age group, that was made eligible, which was people 16 and up. About three weeks into that, we saw a decline in interest in our big public vaccine clinics. 
Um, and I think we're at the point now where, you know, people who are really super eager, clamoring to get their shot, they've gotten it, and now we're talking about trying to make things really convenient for people, do small pop-up clinics in, in you know, um, evenings, weekends, in neighborhoods, you know, a little tent and a, and a, and a nurse, maybe some food to incentivize people coming out in the, in the community to get a vaccine, just to sort of uh, mop up duty, if you will, really get those last few folks vaccinated. Um, uh, and then, you know, really focusing on the younger kids as they become eligible. So in terms of vaccinations, we're doing very well in Portland uh, as a percentage of the entire population, uh, again, 20% of whom are not yet eligible, we're at 60%. So 60% of every person right. in the town of Portland has uh, at least initiated vaccination, which is a really big number when you think 20% can't yet. That means about 80% of the eligible population in Portland has initiated vaccination. It's uh-huh. a really big number. So Portland is actually doing very, very well, even relative to other towns in Chatham Health District. So we're doing very well. Um, as of today, um, children as young as 12 can receive the Pfizer vaccine. So I really hope to see that number accelerate a little bit. Every time we open up a new eligibility group for vaccination, um, we see a bump. Uh, we see an acceleration of, of vaccine coverage rates. So um, I expect, you know, this time next week or two weeks from now to see um, a much bigger number, perhaps 70 or 75 percent, if parents get their kids vaccinated. So for all of you listening, this is the vaccine that we have, Pfizer vaccine right now eligible for children, is very safe, highly effective at preventing both transmission and infection and um, symptomatic disease and especially hospitalization and worse. So really great vaccines, really encourage everybody to consider scheduling an appointment. Many, many of our vaccine providers in the state now are offering walk-up appointments. Some of our pharmacies are, um, our FQHCs right across the river. We've got um, Community Health Center in Middletown. I think they're offering walk-up appointments and um, walk-up uh, vaccinations, no appointment necessary. So we're doing really, really well with vaccinations. And what we've seen as a result really is a collapse in the number of cases that we're seeing every week. Mm-hmm. So in Portland, for example, we use two-week rolling averages um, because, you know, there will be spikes and, 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 you know, peaks and valleys, just um, random variation in those numbers. Um, so two, on two-week averages, we're looking at around eight cases per 100,000 mm-hmm. in the town of Portland. We haven't seen numbers like that since bef- well before, actually, Thanksgiving, somewhere in October. Right. Yeah. So, so that, that constitutes the yellow alert for people who remember the, the alert status in the state of Connecticut. Um, this is one stage above no alert status. So Portland really is headed in the right direction. Um, of the two weeks, in the two weeks that we used to look at data, the second week that contributed to that number, we only saw one new case in the town of Portland. Wow. That's great. So really, really strong numbers in terms of vaccinations, really, really positive numbers in terms of the case numbers in the town of Portland. I mean, you want to talk about having a, a Memorial Day parade. I think Susan and I had a conversation about a month ago. Yeah. I was a little bit hesitant. You know, we, we were in a different place in terms of vaccination coverage rates. We were still seeing widespread transmission in the town of Portland. Um, I'd be hard-pressed to say that what we're seeing in Portland is widespread transmission. It really is not. Right. So we're doing really well. I think next week we're going to see an easing of some of the business or all of the business restrictions that have been in place with us since for the better part of a year. Um, I, the governor has been you know, telegraphing this, and I think uh, many of the executive orders that have mandated that businesses follow what has been described as the sector rules issued by the Department of Economic and Community Development mm-hmm. are going to be relegated to best practices and, and recommendations as opposed to requirements. Sure. With one exception, I believe the exception is going to be the wearing of masks in indoor spaces. 
So I think masks are going to be continue to be with us for quite a while, especially indoors. Outdoors, we know, are much safer environments, especially as people get vaccinated. The CDC now is basically telling people that if you've been fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask when you're outside, unless you're in a very large public gathering. Mm-hmm. You know, think uh, a, a place where it's packed with people shoulder to shoulder. You can't socially distance even if you wanted to. You know, in those settings, CDC is still saying wear a mask because there's a very rare circumstance where somebody fully vaccinated can actually become infected and spread the virus. Those are called breakthrough infections. We do expect to see some of those, and we have in the state of Connecticut, but they're rare. So in those really big, big events, wearing a mask is still a good idea, even if they're taking place outside, even if you are fully vaccinated. But otherwise, if you're fully vaccinated and you're outside, even in small group gatherings, um, you don't have to wear a mask. That's great. That's that's great, Russ. Yeah. I know um, yesterday I had a meeting uh, with the administrators here at the school concerning graduation. And um, so obviously last year we had a, a kind of a, a drive-through graduation. This year they're going to be moving it back over onto the uh, the middle school uh, parking lot side. And, uh, and the way it looks right now is, is the socially distanced now. They're looking at, at, at uh, placement of chairs and so forth for the graduates. Is, is, is six foot uh, still... Uh, the norm or is that going to be relaxed a little bit? It's still the norm. You know, we know that the virus is transmitted from person to person through direct contact with the respiratory secretions, and that occurs whenever you're within six feet of somebody else. Mm -hmm. We do know that wearing masks makes a big difference, even in indoor settings. Um, We know that many of our schools have had students all all in person, you know, roughly three feet away from each other wearing masks, and we really haven't seen much transmission. So masks really do work very well mm-hmm. but the rule of thumb is six feet it's still a good idea especially if you can manage it right so um and you know we are talking about students many of whom have not been that va- well many, some of whom have not been vaccinated right the vaccine has been available to people 16 and up for a number of weeks now at this point and i mm-hmm. think that we've seen at least the state of connecticut 50 percent of our teenagers 16 and 17 year olds and 18 year olds have been vaccinated um so that's a really good number but Fifty percent is only half, so we still want to keep our distance, especially for our young folks who have not completed vaccination or who have not initiated vaccination. So six feet, but I think it's a really good thing that we're going to be able to do graduations. Yes, oh, absolutely! I agree. We're talking about out, you know, outdoor graduations, even yes. if it has to come indoors. Um, I think many schools are talking about limiting the number of people who can come in as far as guests, but otherwise, right. outdoor graduations going to look very normal. A little bit more spaced apart than probably remember from uh, 2019, but. Um, Right. Sort of a normal-looking graduation with family taking pictures and guests and things like that. Yeah, right now I, I think the way the plan is or the discussions are, they're going to be allowing uh, graduates to, to have uh, six uh, relatives come. And um, I, I think from a standpoint of uh, chair placement, they're going to be setting up the, uh, the audience in, in pods of six socially distanced. So yeah. I think uh, that should work okay. That's great. And I think, you know, when you want to talk about who might be attending, so parents of high school graduates tend to be, you know, approaching 50 years old, you know, 45, at least 45 years old. Um, In Portland, 70% of people 45 to 64 have been vaccinated. So most of the people attending, you know, with the exception of younger family members perhaps, but especially parents and grandparents attending graduations in the town of Portland will largely be vaccinated as population. Mm-hmm. That's great. So I think the likelihood that we're going to see any kind of transmission or certainly outbreaks as a result of in-person graduations that take place outdoors, I think the likelihood is extremely low in the town of Portland. Right, right. So you know, all, all good news, all great news. I think 
there is also going to be a prom. Am I right about that, Dave? Yes, yes, yeah. there is going to be a prom uh, and so forth. And that is, uh, you know, masks are going to be mandated you know, as far as that goes. But I think uh, uh, they are planning it, which is, it's good for the students. Oh, uh, yeah. They missed out on quite a lot last year. Uh, sure, so. I think they're also going to be um, offering testing, um, what, three or four days before prom at school. I think uh, I think the community health center is bringing in and doing a pop-up testing site at school a couple of days. Am I right about that, Dave? I I, I have not heard that. Definitely, I've heard that as the you know the, that's that's the talk. I, I I can't verify that for sure myself, but uh, yeah, maybe in the works. And that's a good idea. It's consistent with the recommendations. So, for anybody listening who's got you know a, a, a child going to prom or who is attending prom themselves, if we've got any kids listening, whether or not there is some in-school testing that is offered. Um, I just encourage you to go get tested before any large event like that, especially if you've not been vaccinated, especially if you've not been fully vaccinated. You know, what you don't want to have happen is you attend a, a prom and you've got, you know, 150 of your classmates there together um, and you end up being sick with COVID-19 and exposing a bunch of people. You know, that's, that's the purpose of testing before prom. It's not foolproof, of course. You test somebody three or four days before an event doesn't mean that they won't become infected and then infectious in the next in the days after that, but before prom. But it is another layer. Masks are one layer, you know, of protection. Testing before you attend is another layer. So if we have any positives, we would keep those folks out of prom um, and let others enjoy it a little bit more safely. And what we really would not like to see, of course, is anything like, a, you know, somebody coming to prom who's sick with COVID-19, and then that might impact people's ability to attend graduation. Oh, when is prom and when is graduation day? Do you know those dates? Uh, I do not. Uh, well, graduation is going to be on the 16th. Uh, 16th? The prom, I'm not sure. I think it's in two weeks. Okay. Hopefully uh, it's two weeks before graduation because what yeah. we would hate to see is, you know, somebody have to miss out on some of those other end-of-year activities because they were around somebody with COVID-19 and were told to quarantine. And, you know, of course, worst-case scenario is somebody gets really sick. So, right. um, you know, wearing masks keeping your distance. I hope prom has lots of that, lots of activities for, for those kids to engage in um, besides, you know, face-to-face, cheek-to-cheek dancing. And, um, but I think it's really good when you think about where we were last May and June. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, has, has the method, uh, the, the test and methodology changed? Are uh, the, the uh, different types of tests or the quick tests versus the... So there's two main types of tests still, antigen tests and PCR tests. Typically, the antigen tests, you can get results in about 15 minutes. Um, and then the PCR tests typically are sent off to a laboratory where it takes about a day or two to get those results. Um, there are some rapid PCR tests, point-of-care tests that are PCR. That's the more sensitive and specific version of uh, the COVID-19 tests. Um, but the turnaround time is really key. Both those kinds of tests, whether it's antigen or PCR, are really, really accurate. Of course, with any test, there's some false negatives and false positives, but by and large, they work very well. Um, so I think that the PCR tests being the more sensitive tests are the ones that I would recommend getting done a couple of days before an event. Um, antigen tests tend to be a little bit better when you're feeling sick to get a quick result, you know, a quick answer mm-hmm. um, as to whether or not what you're feeling is COVID-19 or not. Right. Um, so, for example, you know, my son was sick with what seemed like a head cold uh, earlier in the week. Of course, I kept him out of school, and I went to get a rapid test just to make sure that what he has is not COVID-19. Thankfully, it was not COVID-19. So, um, but we're actually seeing the proliferation of other point-of-care tests, including at-home point-of-care tests. So there are some tests that people can purchase that they can send off to a lab. They get the sample kit at home. 
they take a sample, they send it off to the lab, they get the results in a couple, uh, couple of days, and there are also now tests that people can take at home where they get the results right then and there themselves, mm -hmm. lateral flow antigen tests, they're called, and they look very much like a, like a pregnancy test. Right, right, yeah. Um, so there are other tests out there uh, right now, and I think that's just another layer. Those are strategies that people can use, you know, at, at home, convenience of their home, um, before they do anything, before travel, you know, before they go to a big event, after they get home from a big event, if there were concerns, you know, I mean, I think the, the, the number of tests, the options available, where they are in the turnaround times are all really, really good. Sure. You know, in relation to the side effects from the, from the vaccinations, uh, uh, what's the rundown on that versus, you know, Moderna and Pfizer and J&J? And &J? Yeah, they're all actually all very similar side effect profiles in terms of what side effects you can expect. Um, very, very common to have soreness at the injection site. That's, that was my experience. Very, very sore arm. Uh, you know, it felt like somebody uh, you know, gave me a charley horse. You remember old charley horses? Yep. And in my shoulder for, for a couple of days. You know, minor aches and pains, some body aches, some chills, headache. Um, some people will experience even a low-grade fever. Um, typically, those occur in the first day or two. After vaccination, um, they go away, uh, typically in a day or two. Um, you know, my experience was uh, I had some chills and some body aches. Um, they came on about uh, a day after I had my, my vaccine. They were there for about 12 hours. The next day I woke up and it was like nothing had happened. Right. So, um, and I think it's very typical for both Pfizer and Moderna vaccines and Johnson & Johnson. Johnson & Johnson typically it has fewer side effects. The Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, especially after the second dose, um, side effects can be a little bit stronger and more and occur more frequently in people than with Johnson and Johnson, but they're all very similar. Um, and really, you know, when I experienced the side effects myself, I told myself, well, this is the vaccine working. Um, and I just rode them out. You know, they didn't, didn't sure. really bother me too much. Yeah. Um, it was yeah. because I expected them to happen. And if you expect those to happen, then when it does happen, it's not a scary thing. Right, right. Now, I had, I had the Moderna, and the, the second one, it was, again, you had the, the, the soreness in the arm. I had uh, a real low-grade headache, and the next day, I just felt, like, tired, and that mm -hmm. was pretty much it. Very common. I will say for anybody who's getting the vaccine who hasn't gotten it yet, um, if you develop things like shortness of breath or a sore throat, those are not side effects from the vaccine. So there are some things that mimic the disease itself that are side effects, like chills and body aches and headache, low-grade fever. If you develop a really high fever or if you develop shortness of breath or a sore throat, sore throat, those are not a side effect of the vaccine. So if you start to get sick with things like that, you should be evaluated for COVID-19. And I actually have actually had experience doing a case investigation and contact tracing for an individual who got their, I think it was the first dose of vaccine. Um, the next day started with what they thought were side effects. They lingered for about five days and they included a pretty high fever and a sore throat. And that person eventually, after five days of dealing with this, um, what they thought were side effects, went to get tested for COVID-19. It turns out they had COVID-19. Oh, boy. Okay. So, um, you know, th there is still some COVID-19 out there circulating in our population. And so it is possible to get the vaccine and then get exposed and get sick. Right. So until you're fully vaccinated, you really should continue to be careful when you're out there. You know, limit your exposure to people who are outside your household, especially if you're indoors. Um, so make sure you're wearing a mask um, and, you know, 
limit those kinds of social interactions unless they're taking place outdoors where you can keep your distance. Sure. That tends to be a pretty safe environment. Sure. You know, the, the hospitals pretty much in, in this state, I don't, I don't think, are, are, are overwhelmed uh, by COVID cases, are they? No, no, not at all. We're below 300 total hospitalizations in the state of Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, that is far from where we were at our worst, um, and even far from where we were just about a month and a half ago in March, where we started, started seeing a spike in hospitalizations. We were somewhere in the area of seven or 800, even approaching 1,000 hospitalizations in the state. Now we are way, way down, which really is attributed to vaccines. I mean, as vaccines have ramped up, hospitalizations have come down. We vaccinated just about 100% of our most vulnerable older residents, 65 plus. We're really approaching 100% coverage. So we just don't see those folks turn up really, really sick in hospitals for right. COVID-19 at this point. Now, now um, have, have most of the people in, in uh, care facilities been vaccinated? Yes. And that was the first during the first round. I mean, just, just to remember back phase 1A. Anybody remember that, that, yeah. that term, phase 1A? Yes. It seems like forever ago. But during phase 1A of the vaccine rollout, people in long-term care facilities were prioritized. Right. Pharmacy partners around the state went into long-term care facilities and, and administered vaccine doses to all those residents. Now, there is turnover. So, you know, the population of people in long-term care and, and, and rehab facilities from December is not the same people exactly anyway that they are right now in May. So there is some turnover. So I think the state is looking at ways that we can get the individuals who end up in long-term care facilities if they, you know, now have not been vaccinated, vaccinated. But at this point, if you've not been in long-term care and you end up going for rehab stint because of surgery and you're in that age bracket of 65 plus, I believe you're probably vaccinated at this point anyway. So, sure. sure. Um, but, but the state is keeping an eye on that. I think we want to make sure that people in those settings, because we've seen what happens when COVID-19 enters a facility like that. Right, right. Now, an unvaccinated population. The, the healthcare facilities in the in the uh, in the district are basically. Uh, do you think they'll be impacted by the potential strike coming up with healthcare workers? Yeah, so I, get, I do get notifications from um, the uh, Department of Emergency Management, Homeland Security, in the state of Connecticut, letting us know at the health department which of our facilities um, have pending labor action. Right now, there is one in our jurisdiction that is Harrington Court in the town of Colchester. So they are uh, there. Uh, they are represented by the uh, labor union that is um, looking to strike and in negotiations, I think, right now with the state of Connecticut to avoid that. Um, they were going to strike as early as tomorrow, I believe, but that has been delayed. So that's good news that there was a delay in the, the planned strike. I believe they've rescheduled it for the fourth week of May, either May 25th or May 28th, something like that. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I really, really hope that there is a negotiated settlement and that they can come to an agreement before there's a strike because the most vulnerable residents among us who need the most intense care are people in those facilities. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And, you know, I would hate to think what it would be like for not only those residents but families, for example, if the mutual aid plan in the state of Connecticut had to be a- activated, which entails, in some cases, moving those people to a different facility. Oh, right, dear. right. Yeah, so that- if you're a family member of somebody who's in a facility – uh, you might have to go visit your family member somewhere else, perhaps right. somewhere else far away, perhaps as far away as out of the state of Connecticut. Wow. Oh my gosh. So we really don't want to see that. I mean, we really want to see some kind of negotiated settlement because really we're talking about really vulnerable residents, and um, and I believe that the, the care that they get in those facilities is good and is strong, and um, you know, I would hate to see any kind of upheaval in those settings. 
Well, I think this whole pandemic has, has, has brought a lot of things to light, okay, in relation to, you know, the health care and, and uh, you know, the people that uh, sometimes we get take, uh, take for granted uh, that, are, that are always there. Yeah, uh, I mean, the people that work in those places, the, especially the CNAs, people who provide the, the direct care, day-to-day help with activities of daily living, washing, bathing, eating, um, changing diapers and things like that for, for, for our most vulnerable, they are, um, they have, they're overworked, frankly. You know, one CNA might be assigned to 25 residents in a building. You know, right, a tremendous right. Tremendous number. And yep. um, they are not paid that well, speaking frankly. Yep, oh yeah. Um, so burnout is high, and they were largely exposed with very limited protections um, during the early days of the pandemic, many of them got sick. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I certainly understand the the feeling that they may have that they have been left unprotected and undervalued. Sure. Um, speaking but at the same time, I really, really hope they find some kind of way out of this that doesn't involve a strike. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of protection, um, how has the availability of PPE uh, been? It's been strong for, for months now. Uh, for a while, we were distributing personal protective equipment in the form of masks, gloves, gowns, um, and things like that to primary care offices, to dentist offices, um, and that really, the supply chains have been reestablished, and I think most of our healthcare agencies are able to uh, get their own supply at this point. So we haven't been distributing PPE. At this point, it's been about three months since we've gotten any supplies from the state of Connecticut to distribute. And even the last time we got supplies, when we put the message out there to our health care providers that we had supplies for them, it was largely ignored. We really didn't get any orders. Wow. Said, you know, we've got plenty of PPE. Good. So, you know, we haven't done that in a while, which, which, is, which is good. Um, I, I think that the state is looking at ways, you know, in the future that they can avoid something similar what happened in you know March and April uh, of 2020 which was when there was just no PPE for those long-term care facilities you know for anybody who needed it so I think the state's thinking okay well, what about the next pandemic or next supply chain disruption from of any kind you know which could mean not just uh, viral pathogens that spread you know rapidly and keep people home but hurricanes sure, you know, sure. ice storms oh yeah. yeah there are a lot of disruptions that can occur both hyperlocally and, you know, regionally that could impact supply chains of PPE. So I think the state is right to look at ways to prevent what happened in March and April of 2020 from happening again. Right, yeah. You know, first we had toilet paper, then we had PPE. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I was looking at those, you know, big, you know, skunk cabbage leaves that grow in the wetlands behind my house you know, pretty favorably back in March and April for a little while. It's you know, a little dicey there. You know what they say, any port in a storm. You know, exactly, any port in a storm. You know, whatever. So anyway, well, that's great. Uh, now, I know this, the state uh, has been doing uh, quite a bit as far as in incentivizing, you know, the, the vaccine. And, you know, I heard one, it was, a, you know, a lot of the uh, uh, – establishment who are doing like shots and beers yeah i saw that i think it's a great idea um and i'll and i'll tell you why um you know we need to look at our population as interconnected and we need to think i I don't think there's a lot of hesitancy among people true hesitancy people who think 
the vaccine is, you know, not safe or not effective or both. I don't think there's a whole lot out there. There's probably some, but I don't think there's a whole lot. But there are people who just need an extra nudge. Yeah. Yep. It needs to be convenient. You know, maybe, you know, I think it's largely younger people who are, yes, indeed, less affected by the severe consequence of COVID-19, but they are not immune from it. And, and we do see young people in the hospital, and we have seen young people die of COVID-19. But, but the message has typically been, well, you know, I'm younger, and I don't think it's going to affect me that much. And so some of those folks just need a little nudge. It needs to be really convenient at their place of work. Sure. You know, yeah. at the bar that they go to, at the hair salon where they get their hair cut. Yeah. Um, you know, at the public event that they're attending, you know, I'm really looking forward to going and setting up booths to provide vaccinations at some of the breweries in the area. Yeah. No, yeah. um, uh, the Saturdays and Sundays, are typically pretty busy days at breweries. Many of them have service outside. Yes. You could see hundreds of people, mostly in their twenties and thirties at breweries. You know, that's what we're talking about. So I think it's a great idea. You know, not that I love spending money in that way, but whatever it takes to get people, because we are interconnected. And until we reach somewhere in the area of 80% of our population that have been fully vaccinated, the virus will continue to circulate, continue to have places where it can go. And it will eventually, those chains of transmission, you know, one person to one person to one person, even if those individuals don't get very sick, eventually the chain reaches a pocket of people who are either unvaccinated or otherwise vulnerable, sure. even if they are. Yeah. So I think we, we need to disrupt those chains of transmission in any way we can, and the only way to do that right now is by getting people vaccinated. So whether it's a shot, you know, a shot and a shot, um, you know, at a bar, or, uh, you know, a pizza and a touch of truck uh, yeah. for kids. Yeah, why I not? Mean, right? Chatham Health District was uh, the recipient of a $60,000 grant from the Department of Public Health to do what's called vaccine equity um, program outreach. So we are going to be out there in our communities working with businesses and nonprofits and places of worship um, to reach anybody we can with vaccine. Sure. So we're hiring a couple of physicians, we're hiring a coordinator, we're hiring an outreach worker. These are boots on the ground folks who are going to be mm. um, trying to make vaccine convenient, trying to spread the word about the facts of the vaccine, about how safe and effective it is. Um, and maybe we're going to be talking about it, some kind of incentives. Again, love the idea of, you know, having some pizza, having a, an event on a town, you know, some town property in a densely populated neighborhood where people could just come out on a nice Saturday, sure. enjoy seeing their neighbors, get a shot, you know, protect themselves and others in that way and, and have a little fun while they're doing it. Sure. That sounds like a plan. Uh, great. Well, Russ, thank you so much for that insightful uh, uh, information, and uh, we're glad uh, we're heading in the right direction, uh, not only uh, district-wide, but, uh, you know, it seems like uh, we're in pretty good shape here in the town. Yeah, you think, sounds Susan? Great. Yeah, I'm very proud of Portland and proud of Chatham Health. Uh, you've done a tremendous job, and it sounds like you're making it fun and in incentives that are just going to be great. So we look forward to anything we can do to help you, Russ. You guys do a Fantastic job, and, and we love you. Great. Great. Well, all, we appreciate the support of the town, and I think the, the population has really been receptive to everything we've been doing in terms of COVID-19 vaccination especially, and hope to see people out at an event this summer. Sounds great. Great. Thanks, Russ. I appreciate it. Uh, Susan, you got uh, anything else? Or? Yeah, if you haven't gotten your vaccination, sounds like there's a lot of good reasons to let's, get out there and get it. And, let's get, uh, get her done. It'll be fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. I think that about wraps it up here on our episode number, I think it's 33. <laughs> 
May, yeah, I think it's 33. No, 34 now. I'm sorry. Wow. And uh, we're, we're getting up there. We're getting tons of listens. And again, uh, our uh, podcasts are available. Uh, just go to our website, but they're available on, uh, on YouTube. They're available on uh, Anchor. They're available on Spotify. So any place you get your podcasts, uh, you can hear us uh, and go from there. So if you would... Uh, uh, until we meet again, uh, we're, we're going to do this in a, another week or so, uh, right. Susan, if yeah, that's okay. absolutely. And uh, again, as uh, Russ would say uh, before we always go, is uh, stay home, stay safe, wear your mask, and uh, above all, social distance. Thanks so much, everybody, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave.